I encourage you to grab your Bibles and turn to Malachi chapter 1. I'm going to be reading from verse 1 to verse 5. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may rebuild, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. And I'm reading from Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 13. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Thanks, uh, Lil and Luke, for doing that. And just before, I had this moment where um, so those who are here at the live stream today are those who are serving and some of their family members are here. And so it was great to have a little one cry. Uh, it was so awesome. I loved it because uh, there's this moment of going, oh, yeah, I missed that. So, well, good morning uh, to all of you who are here with us uh, this morning or whether if you are watching us, uh, as Cam said, now in the community hubs or fellowship hubs or whether if you're going to be listening to this later. My name is Shabu. I have the great joy and privilege of being one of the pastors at Canterbury Gardens Community Church. This morning, we begin a short series in the book of Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament. Now, we've actually done this particular book a while back, and as I was considering it again and reading it afresh, I love how the Word of God just keeps on speaking keeps on refreshing our hearts. And so this is my prayer for us who are reading, listening, whether here or on the live stream, 
that what we want to do is we want to observe a conversation that's going on between God and his people. And we need to ask, how am I like this? How are we like this? What does it reveal about who God is and his plan for the world? This morning, we come to the very start of this oracle. This divine revelation, this burden is the language in the text. This word is from God to his people, the people of Israel. And now, if you read the Old Testament, there are moments where the prophet will hear something that God says, and then they will just sort of share what that means. But in this moment, it's like God is saying to Malachi, I want you to say this word for word. And so Malachi, his name means the messenger, is giving a direct word from God to his people. Uh, This is what that's known as a disputation. It's a fancy way of saying, I like to say, it's an honest, raw conversation between God and his people. There's actually six of them. It's like an argument going back and forth. But God says, see who I am, see what you have done, and and they argue back, how have we done this? Or have you done this? This morning, we come to the very first five verses of the book of Malachi. Friends, I'm, I'm just going to be fairly upfront now to say this morning, what my prayer has been for those of us, whether if you're here or watching the service, is to consider God's love. For you to consider how has God loved you, or to consider how has God loved you us. With that in mind, would you join with me in prayer? Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done this morning for your glory. Oh, Father, I pray and I plead with you that no matter who we are in whatever season of our relationship we are with you, may our hearts be overwhelmed by the truth of your love for us. May our hearts be warmed again to your grace. May our hearts be pointed to your Son, Jesus Christ. May we walk away knowing you more. And Lord Jesus, I pray for myself that please, let it be for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a callus on your hand. Now, I thought about showing a picture, and I, I Google search, and it's pretty gross if you look it up, so I didn't want to gross you out in your homes or here today. Now, if you look at my own hand, uh, many, particularly those of us who are trades, joke about how Shabu has supple, soft hands because I obviously use a laptop and not a lot of gardening or hard work. Now, for those of you who have been in trades, you probably know what I'm talking about. What a callus means. It's that repeated friction that goes on rubbing and it becomes really hard over time. Now, I want you to consider something for a moment. What if that happens to a person's heart? Because of very circumstances or situations, it feels as though it's never-ending. It's like this wave that goes over and over again. There's repeated moments or seasons in our lives But the heart almost says, whether we might not say it out loud, but we go, yeah, right. 
it becomes callous, it hardens. What does that look like in our relationship with the God of the universe? It feels as though there's this endless season of suffering, endless season of challenges, endless lockdowns, endless doubts and fears, this constant sense of trial, and this never-ending circumstance. It almost feels like it's getting worse and worse. And it feels at that moment when we hear that famous song that we often sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And we might not admit it, but deep down in our hearts we say, really? We want to maybe even say, like the people of Israel, God, how have you loved me? Do you see my life? And then there are those of us who might say, yes, God loves me. I get it theologically. I get it. I understand. But it's almost that the love of God towards you, we become apathetic to it. It doesn't grab our hearts as much as it used to. And maybe we might say, how have you loved us? Are you there right now today? You may know someone who is feeling that, have shared that with you. See, friends, in the very moment that we're looking at the passage in front of us, in Israel's history, this is what's been happening. The people have had a significantly difficult time. They've actually returned from exile almost a century earlier, and they have high hopes. The temple has been rebuilt. And they're still, though, under challenge and political issues going around them. They're struggling, and it feels as though there's this relentless challenge coming towards them as they try to rebuild as a nation. So during the time of Malachi, they don't feel or sense that they are the chosen people of God. And this is why they've got these questions back to God. They feel as though God has neglected them, and they question, how have you loved us? This is the thing, friends. One of the greatest dangers in a person's faith or in the faith of a Christian community is when one of the most greatest truths of who God is and how he loves us becomes something that we become numb to or apathetic to. Or it's something that we drown out because of our experiences. As to resting in the truth of what God says, who he is, based on in his word, that he has always loved them. And this is what he's saying to the people of Israel. I have always loved you. I've committed myself to you. I have, using biblical language, I have covenant love for you, towards you, as a people and individually. Do you believe this, Israel? And because what's going on in their heart, God already knows. <laughs> He's the God who knows his people really well. He sees and hears what's going on deeply in their heart. And he knows, but you question my love for you, Israel. You say, how have you loved us? Because it sure doesn't look like it, God. So what God does is gives them a reminder again, like he does throughout the Old Testament. He makes them to look back. See that in verses 2 to 4, it says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. 
I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. Encouraging morning, isn't it? Encouraging verse. But this is the word of God and it's good for us all. Now I want you to see this, right? When we read this, we need to firstly do some work. Firstly, we need to understand how the Israelites are reading this. God is taking back them back to what they already know, should know. And what he's doing is he's speaking particular language. He's saying, I've chosen you as my people, shown by the tree line that you know of, Jacob. In 2021, because of the full counsel of God, we may go through a few different places. Some of us go, perhaps, wait, is not God love? How can he hate anyone? Some of us, particularly a wider, particularly this way, oh, the election conversation, here we go, I'm really excited. Some of us go, oh, no, not the election thing, let's just ignore it, leave it alone, move on. And maybe perhaps you're someone who's exploring the Christian faith and going, what is this guy talking about? Esau, Jacob, where is this even going? Whoever you are, What God is doing, God is showing how he has loved his people because of who he is. See, it's a beautiful reminder the choosing of them has nothing to do with who they are. In that, it's nothing to do with their abilities, nothing to do with their capabilities, nothing to do with their performance. It's nothing to do with them. It all has to do with God and his work. It's his prerogative. It has to do with his sheer, unconditional love towards them. How? God says he has always loved Jacob and he has hated Esau. Now, but the fascinating thing is it's not like God pulls out a list. Well, I'll show you. Let me show you a list of how I've loved you. No, no. What, God has always been faithful to his people. Rather, he says, have a look. He says, is not Esau your brother? Now, that's an interesting thing to say, right, in that conversation. Now, if you know your story of the Bible, you know that Esau was not just a brother. He was the twin brother of Jacob. They were so close, the Bible's language is that they they actually even fought in the womb. Now, if you have had twins, you might know what this means. I don't know. But you see this in Genesis 25. There's this powerful picture given that Jacob had grabbed Esau's heel. These two are total opposites. One guy, he's a hunter, he's a man's man. The other, I would say a mum's boy. Likes to stay home, cook, really close to mum. One, quite hairy. Anyway, I'll keep moving on. The other, not so. One described as fiery, the red hair, that's the language there. While the other, Jacob, his name means cheater or swindler, heel grasper. You look at their lives and let me tell you, they're far from perfect friends. If you're talking about dysfunctional families, wow, it's right there in the Bible. I mean, even Esau himself, he married uh, two local Hittite women. He was willing to give up his birthright because he was hungry. 
He was willing to kill his own brother. His third wife was an Ishmaelite. Now, the reason why this is important, particularly in the story of the Bible, is because he was not committed to God. God said, don't marry somebody else who's not the people of God, because they will lead you to worship idols. Now, Jacob, if you read the story of the Bible, he's a cunning guy. (laughs) He's focused, ultimately, for his own selfish gain. I mean, think about it. He's willing to steal his brother's birthright. His brother is hungry, and he takes the opportunity. I mean, he even lies to his own dad. I mean, in this moment, when we look at this life, it's like if you had their CVs or if you stalked their social media page and see what their life is really like, you might think, okay, which of these two are far more deserving of God's love? Friends, in the story of the Bible, none of them. None of them have the right or even justification to be in relationship with the God of the universe who's holy. They're filled with brokenness and sin and wickedness. And the thing is that it should actually grab our attention here. It's not, though, as God sort of sat there and said, let me weigh up Jacob in his life and let's see how bad Esau is and I'll, you know what? Toss a coin, I'll go for Jacob. The passages in Genesis 25 says that God declared that Esau, the older son, would serve the younger. This was God's plan, he knew What we're saying, or seeing, should I say, is God is saying to Israel, how have I loved you? Well, I chose to love you before you knew what it means to love me. Because I chose you, Israel, I'm committed to you over Esau. In my showing of commitment to you, uh, the, there's, in this language of the, of the Bible here, in, in Malachi, it's saying there's a word play going on. God is saying, I love Jacob, but Esau I've hated. And particularly here, it's, a, it's, it's covenant language, it's biblical language to say which love and hate are synonymous. That is, that I've chosen and I've rejected respectively. There's a commentator by the name of Ian Duggard. You can put it up on the screen here. He says, just as God's love for Jacob is more than emotional, God's hate for Esau is not an out-of-control rage. If covenant love is devoted commitment, covenantal hatred is the absence of any commitment or relationship. And here's the thing, here in Israel's life, due to their very circumstantial experiences, they've either fallen to a state of apathy or they've gone, God loves me, God loves us, so what? Or They've gone to that state of privilege. God loves us. Look at us. We are the chosen people. We can live however way we want. All the various trials and experiences they've had of enemies, including the very enemy that God speaks of, it seems like they're getting away with things, they're becoming stronger, and they're thinking, does God really love us? And in all the midst of this, this dialogue, they've missed the point That God has loved them because he's chosen them, not because of anything they can do or have done. This is a wonderful passage. It's up here on the screen from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 to 8. 
God speaks and he says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. This is again language of setting you apart. The Lord your God had chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh's king of Egypt. What God is saying, friends, is, Israel, I've always loved you because I chose you. Nothing to do with you, all to do with who I am. Both in me choosing to love you and knowing you, knowing that you will never, ever love me the same. And not also to choose Esau. Do you see how committed I am to you, Israel? I mean, the very question, God, how have you loved us? It's like saying, we really don't think you've loved us at all. What's the point of all of this, friends? When we read passages like this, and particularly we've um, grown up in churches and we have the full counsel of God because we do now, when we come to passages like this, we're kind of not sure what to do because we know that God is love and that is true. The thought to consider these kind of passages, we may brush away with it or avoid it or skip it. But God invites us to wrestle with it because it should point us to who God is and his character. There are those of us who've grown up in circles when we talk about choosing an election in such a way, that's all we think about. That's the very lens that we look at and we totally miss the point. The purpose of God choosing and loving should not lead us to arrogance or pride. Rather, it should move us to consider the lost. And what happens in our hearts is that we don't even have love for those who are without God. And there are many who are still wrestling with the fact in your everyday life, does God really love me? Really? My life doesn't feel that way in any way. Friends, the very passage in front of us has nothing to do with us as much Rather, it has all to do with the God of the universe. See, the reality is both Esau and Jacob are undeserving of God's love. In fairness, they both deserve God's rejection. The thought of God and his love and his election all has to do with the love for those who are undeserving of his grace, his favor. Because the beauty of this is God is the one who moves towards us. Despite of who they are, God moved towards them. Despite of what they have done, knowing that they've rejected God, God continues to move towards them because of who he is. He is God. He is the creator. He's the one who is the potter. So we can say God is indeed love. He has shown Israel how he's loved them by not only choosing them, but we also see what he does with the descendants of Esau in verse 3. I mean, their very land will be destroyed and left uninhabited by humans. The language here is so strong, it's like saying that they will be left uninhabited, they'll be possessed by demons. It's a way, a picture of saying there's no point, they'll be totally destroyed. And verse 4 says that they'll probably even think that they'll rebuild. 
And God says, the Lord of hosts. Now, if you read the story of the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, the language of the Lord of hosts is, I want you to have an imagery of God the warrior. That's war language. That God will go to war for his people. And he will tear them down. And he will be angry towards them forever. In other words, they will experience God's judgment on them as a nation. What God is saying to Israel is, I know what it looks like. The enemies are winning. Do you ever feel that, followers of Christ? God knows. God says, it looks like the nation of Edom is winning. Let me, let me tell you now, they will not. Yes, they are the people who assisted the very exile that you went into, but remember my loyal love towards you, I'm committed to you. The people of Israel are doubting God's love. They're questioning. They've become maybe even perhaps apathetic, and later on we'll see this. The very circumstances feel as though to them, how have you loved us? Friends, I've said this a few times now. Have you ever thought that? Have you heard someone say that to you? Have you ever wondered, does God still love me? Or perhaps, whether we admit it or not, when God says, I love you, what we're hearing is, I love you, which means that everything in your life will go really awesome, nothing will go bad, everything will be positive, you know, and just all about the blessing side of things. So when suffering and trial come, because that's the reality of this side of heaven, we're not sure what to do with that. Perhaps we've thought when God says God loves us, it's just a beautiful, glorious theological statement. And our hearts are no longer captured. It's become almost callous to the thought that God loves us. See, this moment in Malachi, it's a beautiful picture of who God is. It's his gracious covenant love. This very story in here talks about God's love towards us is totally based on his grace because we know we have all sinned every one of us and in the midst of the various experiences and effects of sin has also impacted our lives and what matters in those seasons these are real seasons is to remember God's love towards his people it's an act of grace it's who he is he loves means that there's hope and restoration for those who are not. That means there's judgment that waits. This is why the beautiful picture is given in the last section, right? It reminds the people then and to us to do something, to look forward, to look forward to this truth, to get our eyes to move away from ourselves, to look towards God's plan, But God says, great is the Lord, and he will be great beyond the border of Israel. Beyond yourselves. And that begs the question in time, and we'll see this, how? Now, you've got to remember, this is a real situation that's happened in Israel. There's a real moment where God will destroy their enemies, and his loyal love will be displayed, and he'll say, I'll go to war for you. And he's committed to them. But they didn't rest in this. They constantly forgot about this. But what they forgot about was ultimately their loyal love between God and them, they sort of kept to themselves. They thought it's about them alone. And they didn't think beyond themselves. 
that his loyal love will be displayed beautifully and greatly beyond the border of Israel. How? Friends, we have the full counsel of God. And so when it says, for God so loved the world, the cosmos, that he gave his begotten son. Through Jacob's line would come Jesus Christ himself, God himself, the full display of God's loyal love and fullness shown by Jesus. It's that moment when you and I say, when God says, I have loved you, and we say, how have you loved us? God says, here, here is my son. Jesus Christ, the beloved son, loved by the Father, the one whom the Father is well pleased in, the one who the Apostle Paul would write about, and we just heard that earlier, that he would now point to a historical event again. Remember these words from the Apostle Paul? God proves his own love for us. How? In that while we were still good? No, while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. So in that moment when God says, I have loved you, and we respond in our heart, how have you loved us, God, no matter what season we are in, he says, Christ is my answer. It's a display of my sovereign love. It is God who acts. It is God who moves. It's God who displays his love to us. And we read that in Romans 9, 1 to 13, where the Apostle Paul quotes this very passage. And he says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears my witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I would wish that myself were accursed and cut off from, the Christ, from Christ the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, for from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. Not only so, but also when Rebekah has conceived children by one man, one forefather Isaac. Though they were not born and had gone had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written. He's quoting Malachi here, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. The Apostle Paul now is connecting the dots. He's saying, do you not see? And, and he's a Jews of Jews. He's saying, oh man, I wish my people would understand. They didn't see that it comes to them, the patriarchs, the covenants. They've been displayed. But God's loving election to them as a people to show a greater, loving, glorious election that it will continue beyond the borders of Israel. And in that very moment on the other side of the cross in the empty tomb, it's a reminder when God says he loves Jacob, Esau, he hates. It's by no means not fair or unjust. Rather, it's a reminder that the Lord will have compassion on who he has compassion he will show mercy to whom he chooses to show mercy it's a reminder god's love towards you and me has nothing to do with human will or exertion but it is his mercy and grace 
What this means for us today is this. If your heart has gotten callous to the fact that God loves you, then that moment you're in my heart says, how has he loved me? Friends, remember Jesus Christ, the full display of his love towards you and me. If your heart struggles with the notion that God chooses and you might even be wrestling with that right now, dear friends, step back and remind yourself again who God is. That he's just and right and he's love and he's compassionate. And it should hopefully move your heart and my heart to consider that he was willing to choose you and me. Oh, man. To those of us who've used God's election and choice as an arrogant tool to make you comfortable till Jesus' return, I'm lovingly telling you, dear friend, please, I plead with you, don't let God's love cause your heart to become apathetic because he still calls us as his disciples to proclaim to this broken world the good news of Jesus to whoever he has placed in your life. It's not our job to choose for God. God does that. To those of us who have loved ones who have walked away from the way faith who in your hearts you hear these kind of things cry out to the lord he's compassionate and gracious he's the lord who knows and he can soften the hardest of hearts god's love is a reminder that it has been called for us to go beyond us did you even think about it for a moment here we are watching a live stream, maybe even here, that God's love has come beyond the borders of Israel all the way to Kilsai. What a gracious act of our God. Friends, maybe you even know all the answers. You've been watching our services and for some reason, God is drawing you over and over again. Can I invite you today to seriously consider who God is? And if he has been drawing you to himself, put your faith in him and trust in him. Give your life to him. Turn to him today and surrender to his loving lordship in your life. If that is you, please talk to your friend. Please do get in touch with us and we'd love to walk that journey with you. I have loved you, says the Lord. And we say, how have you loved us? He says, look at my son. Look how I've conquered sin and death and look beyond the border and go and proclaim this good news to whoever God has placed you in front of. With that in mind, would you join with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for your good news of the gospel. Father in heaven, who are we? Who are we? that you would show grace and compassion to us. And yet through Christ you have. And for those of us who know you, help us to be captured by this truth that you have loved us through your Son. For those of us who don't know you, warm our hearts to this truth. For those of us who become cold through the various circumstances in our life, Move us to this truth again. How have you loved us? That you are gracious to choose us. You are gracious to save us.
through your Son, in Jesus' name. Amen.